royal wedding. Well, I, I was reading in Private Eye magazine, though, they had some correspondent who was saying that compared to William, Charles is actually like a stoic hard man. And uh, William's actually overwrought and touchy-feely. Bit of a wimp? Yeah, apparently dro- cries at the drop of a hat. Oh God, no wonder uh, Kate Middleton always looks so kind of dull. <laughs> She's got like no personality. Well, that's that's part of the job description of being a raw woman. That will come up. But I think I can't remember who it was, but someone did a sit down 10, 15 minute interview with her. And I was just like, oh, my God, she has no personality whatsoever. That's She's me. literally just a pretty face. She's not very outspoken on anything. But which women in the royal family are? Diana was. That come up, Prince Harry. He's probably the most popular royal. Harry or George? Oh, Harry, definitely. George is very popular with the gays, unfortunately. What? It was an article, and it was um, a very senior Church of England priest. Oh, God, yeah. He was gay, and he said, we should all pray for Prince George to be gay. Because mm. having a gay royal marriage would be would make me feel better yeah. about being a gay person. He said, <gasps> oh um, no, that's what it all boils down to, though. No, so, didn't he say it would alleviate homophobia or something like that? That's what they were saying. And this is like fucking, he's not even four. And they want him to be like slobbering on cock. No, it's Honestly, too, there's a there's a big culture war coming, man, I think. Between like just, people who are even just even remotely socially conservative versus but like, progressive But what is maniacs. the cu- what is the culture? What has the culture become? And I said this like two weeks ago like the culture of the modern world is basically telling lies to make other people feel better group thing ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode three of the ill-informed insight podcast once again i'm joined by tim hello how's you tim i'm good and this week, we'll be discussing the previous week's two biggest news stories. Trump's back to his shit-posting ways on Twitter. And joy of joys! It's another inescapable royal wedding. Why would you want to escape it? It's nice to have the option to turn over to a different channel and see something else. Now that the royal engagement is public... It's down to the business of planning the wedding. It'll take place in May next year, though no specific day has been announced yet. That'll be just after the birth of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's third child, expected in April. William and I are absolutely thrilled. Uh, it's such exciting news. Um, it's a really happy time for any couple, and we wish them all the best and hope they enjoy this happy moment. The venue is to be one of the Queen's favourite homes, centuries-old Windsor Castle. The couple chose it, they say, because Windsor has become a special place for the two of them. Harry's father, the Prince of Wales, and stepmother, the Duchess of Cornwall, had their religious blessing there in 2005. (laughs) Meghan Markle will be the first American to marry into the royal family since Wallace Simpson famously wed King Edward VIII, forcing his abdication from the throne. As for religion, though she attended a Catholic high school in Los Angeles, Markle is Protestant and plans to be baptised and confirmed into the Church of England. The Obamas and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau likely to attend. It's unclear whether US President Donald Trump, though, will even be invited. 
look at the way they were holding hands and touching. They obviously love each other or they're in that early phase, but I think it's great. Well, they keep referring to her as long-term girlfriend, right? My understanding, it's been about a year. Yeah, it's not a long time at all, but she she looks so happy. She's obviously realised, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I've bagged myself a prince. Yeah, she's married a, a winning lottery ticket. But that's like, in girl points, that's like maximum girl points. But they were talking in that about, like, how Trudeau and the Obamas are going to be there. Trudeau! Will Donald Trump even get an invite? What? Of course he'll get an invite. He's the president. Like, this is a... That's why it's great. I think it's great. I don't, that I don't he, think he will. I hope he does. Because I, I think it, it's nice that we're solidifying our links with the states again. So, yeah. It's another royal wedding, which you won't be able to escape from, no matter how hard you try. I love it. I'll be watching. I love my royal stuff. You, it, it makes absolutely no sense to you, though, whatsoever. I can see. It just, it just doesn't compute. Not a monarchist. No. But anyway, Prince Harry, Nazi uniform-wearing, lovable rogue, Prince Harry. Pot-smoking, art college, <laughs> dropout. Prince Harry's set to marry his, quote, long-term girlfriend, actor-slash-model, Meghan Markle, American. And uh, supposedly this is going to happen next year in May. Just after the next Royal Sprog drops. So we'll be on a, we'll be on a Royal High already. At least take our mind off Brexit. Well, and the Irish border question. That's the thing, you know, the start of the start of this week, I was actually feeling a little bit perturbed and slightly put down all these economic problems. And then I get the news of a Royal Wedding and suddenly all that is, seems less important. Well, it was kind of a nice distraction. It is because it's love, isn't it? Hearing Kate Hoey say like, fuck Island, they're going to pay, (laughs) we're going to build a wall along the Northern Ireland border oh and the Republic of Ireland is going to pay for it. But how do we feel about this royal wedding? Like you, I, I, I feel sort of medicated by it. If that makes sense. Sedated? Sedated, medicated. It's, it's made me feel a bit better, a little bit calmer, more relaxed. I mean, looking at the two Simple of them, thing. when you see the video and like pictures of them, yeah, I think you're right. They're in that early... <laughs> Can't keep our hands off each other. Kind yeah. of um, more infatuation stage than... Like, I think like love... I can't remember who said this, but love is like when you take away infatuation and they're like, oh my God, they're so attractive. When, once you take that away and you still want to be with them, that's love. Yes. They're not at that phase yet. That's Camilla Charles phase. <laughs> Camilla and Charles and Diana, that little triangle, they were sort of strictured by the times they were living in, you know. Cause, um, he was, in effect, pretty much told he couldn't marry Camilla. Yeah. And that he had to take this, like, 19-year-old virgin. Yeah. He didn't really want to be a member of the royal family anyway. But a while ago in the press, I remember reading about Prince Harry. He was getting angry. This is, like, the... This is how I found out about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Right. Was him complaining in the press about the press. Oh, why Why is everyone making a big deal about the fact that she's mixed race and how dare you attack her on that? I didn't see any of that over here. I never saw it. I, the yeah. first, I saw him attack it before I saw it. Yeah. When I saw her, I presumed she was Hispanic. I didn't think she was halfway off, but I thought she was kind of Hispanic. Mm. But does it actually matter? Like, does it matter that it would have Harry's d- marrying a mixed race woman? Does it matter as much as he's marrying a Mer- an American woman? Nowadays, no. But like we said, we, the, the, the previous uh, king had to abdicate because his wife-to-be was an American divorcee, just like Meghan Markle. Yeah. But that, it doesn't matter anymore, you know, because we've moved on, hopefully, as a society. We're sort of more understanding of people's uh, foibles and past mistakes do you think the queen cares that like oh my god like is this are we going to see white flight in the royal family now <laughs> the queen the queen probably loves Meghan markle but the duke of edinburgh his handlers <laughs> his handlers are going to be working overtime to keep those two separated as much as possible but let's like, well, come on let's admit to some truth here right everyone likes philip because he occasionally says inappropriate things just like trump 
<laughs> worse than Trump, even. You know, there's like a thousand, thousand ones I can bring up, like that he said. Massively um, inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he loves it. He gives him life. That's why he's lived so long. Like I say, she is American, Meghan Markle. And I think that's more of a, a point of controversy, if you will, than the fact that she's half black or what have you. Now, Americans, they like the royal family. Yeah. But I think they only really like the royal family because the royal family happens to be three and a half thousand miles away from them. Well, I think Americans are desperate for a royal family, which is why they love all their presidential dynasties, where you've had the Kennedys, almost, <laughs> almost the Clintons, the Obamas, maybe the Michelle. Soon. You had two Bushes. Two Bushes as well. Yeah, it's, they, they, they like the whole sort of family thing. So in a way, they're sort of always trying to get a royal family back. And that's what I mean. Like I say, most countries are republics now which is why I think our royal family has sort of been adopted by a lot of people overseas. But if you're in a society, say like, you can feel like your extended family or your your home, your home basically. It's, Almost it's like cousins you don't visit. Sort of. So having this group of people at the very top that is like a nice family, it I, don't, I can't explain it very well, but it does seem to percolate down through society where it gives, it has done at least traditionally, it's given it a foundation of morality or rules or just standards of behavior but i think I, but i think people subconsciously are drawn to that because they want to have that security in the society having that family thing at the top signifies and I'd, i've never lived in a republic so i don't know if it would feel different living in a republic it might feel a bit less cozy i think that was true up until about 1987 okay do you remember what happened in 1987 Ooh, you have to tell me the month <laughs> prince edward he was kind of like the first yes. royal who was in any way like pr savvy and he basically realized the public doesn't like us anymore the royal family we need to do something to kind of relate to the commoners on their level and so he came up with it's a royal knockout basically like a large version of sports day so it'd be like three-legged races yeah there's a novel swimming in the it. pool it was it was great you know it's great entertainment a lot of slapstick <laughs> yeah, like they dressed up in like mid it was all kind of medieval themed and it was raining that's the only that's the only thing i can remember it was like they combined the royal family with the top bbc tv stars a handful of pop stars and some footballers but yeah let's have a little let's have a little watch of what might i think a lot of people consider to be the royal family's lowest point other than diana thank you very much a round of applause for the 14s come on and now your royal and the team's fly to the tribunes you are dismissed to the tribunes and now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to welcome Master Alid Jones, the herald of the tournament. If you please, Alid Jones. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, the first game in the grand knockout tournament is Call Out the Guards. It's Call Out the Guards. The Guards coming out. Come on, everyone. Here come the Guards. The red team on the Joker. Oh, it's Cliff Richard attaching the rope to the cannon. Cliff Richard running back and over the capstan. Kevin Klein, Jackie Stewart, and Emlyn Hughes. For the Princess Royal. And for the yellow team of Prince Edward, everything is color-coded, of course, in this great knockout tournament. Eddie Grant, Peter Blake, Duncan Dutu, and the blue team, the Duchess of York. Brian Cooper, Steve Cawthon, champion jock Viv Richards, leaping over the capstan athletically. And finally, on the green team, for the Duke of York, 
George Lazenby, Gary Lineker, the greatest footballer in the world, Michael Palin, the Reds on the Joker. If they win, of course, as you know, knockout buffs, the points automatically double. And they're winning. The Reds are winning. The back wheels of the cannon over the line. When the front wheels are over, the Royal Highness, the Princess Anne, fires the cannon. Fires the cannon. We're waiting for Prince Edward to fire his cannon. One more pull, sir. One more pull and over. And it's... And... The Princeton. So, yeah, you, uh, you get the idea. That was surreal. I couldn't imagine being sat at home watching that. Yeah, it was a, a national event. The whole country was watching. <laughs> yeah, this is back when we had three TV channels. Maybe, did we have four by then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Channel 4 was a thing. But that's all you had was four TV channels. I mean, that's the thing. When you when you get up close and personal with the royal family, that's the point at which you start to not like them anymore. So, I mean, this was Prince Edward's attempt, in a way, to kind of try and humanise the royal family, to make the royal family look a little bit more common. Not afraid to uh, humiliate itself. Although I think half of the royal family were like, yeah, fuck this, we're going up to Scotland. But it ended up being a PR disaster because right at the very end of the day, Prince Edward set it up that all the journalists were sat in this hot, small room where they weren't outside watching it live in person. They were just watching it through these monitors. And so at the end, he goes back there. Well, guys, what do you think? Actually, that was kind of Prince Charles, wasn't it? There's been a tremendous team that have helped to put this together. And I've lost my voice. Are you pleased with the way things have gone, sir? Can I finish? And I know the captains have enjoyed themselves. I only hope that you've enjoyed yourselves. Have you? Well, thanks for sounding so bloody enthusiastic. <laughs> what have you been doing in here all day? <laughs> have you been watching it? Yes. Yeah. What did you think of it? <laughs> Thanks. I thought it was Now that reflects terribly on him, doesn't it? That is just like a petulant child he yeah. looked like there. He ruined it all with that. Yeah, just that one interview. What an idiot. Because he was expecting the next day's headlines to be all about, oh, the royals prove that they have a funny side and all of this. He thought it was going to be great PR for them, but all the headlines were, Prince Edward is an arrogant cock. He came across so badly there. So that was like kind of the beginning of a hostile relationship between the press and the royal family. To be honest, I think they've always had a hostile relationship. I don't know. I think there was a little bit more respect and decorum before then. Yeah, but I think the big the big turning point for the royals was was Diana's death. Before that, you had the infamous Diana interview. Oh, with, yeah. uh, was it Christian Guru Murphy? Who was it with? It wasn't Christian Guru yeah, Murphy. Yeah, yeah, it was. No, it was somebody else. Christian Guru Murphy's like the second generation of this guy. Like he broke into America because he did the Diana. Oh, Martin Bashir. Martin Bashir, that's it. Yeah, we got there in the end. Cut that out. I don't want to sound racist. (laughs) Yeah, and then came her funeral. But we're forgetting also what was a a Titanic body blow to the rules was uh, Fergie was caught having her toes sucked by some American while she was still married to Prince Andrew. But I think you're right with uh, Diana's funeral. That was the point the public were getting increasingly pissed off with the Queen because she wasn't tearful enough and things like that. And then Tony Blair tapped into that kind of rising anti-monarchy sentiment because Princess Diana by this time was no longer, she was formerly not a princess anymore. No. But he dubbed her the people's princess. Yeah. 
Um, just to stick the knife into the royal family a little bit you know and but i remember there was a lot of anger because i actually went down there like two nights after it showed a sort of disconnect between the monarchy and the public that they didn't take the public's feelings into consideration in this situation it was uncharted territory for them they'd never been expected to give any sort of public emotional outpouring before that time Mm. and then when like the queen was just sort of standoffish went up to scotland didn't really care about the funeral yeah the public turned on her now, I'm sure, I'm sure Meghan Markle, no doubt she's aware who Harry's mother is, who, uh, who Harry's biological father is. Yeah. What do you mean? I know, I know. Everyone, everyone makes a joke about, like, is Prince it, Charles isn't really Harry's dad. But to be honest, I was looking it's, the it's other day. because he's ginger. The, the way, I mean, it sounds, it's going to sound kind of weird, but his lips and the way his mouth moves when he speaks is very much like Charles. 100% Charles, the yeah. way he grimaces. But Megan, I'm sure she's aware that it was well established. Diana was quite open about the fact that she was always miserable being in the Windsor family. And I'm sure Meghan Markle's read up about that. How do you think she feels about going into this cold, alien-like family? I, I'm sure, I think the royals have probably changed, like... You know, like um, I heard these rumours about Prince William being very sort of touchy-feely and weepy. And that's obviously because from a young age, people have said to him, talk about stuff, don't bottle it up. So it's probably a more open, touchy-feely royal family. And like just the way I saw Harry and Meghan act in front of those cameras is like, she's obviously a natural and made a good career. Yeah, she's an actor. Yeah, but Harry as well, you know, she, he was following her cues. Like when she did a big wave, he did one. And like, I think they're going to be a real PR couple. I think they're going to be like a Posh and Bex augmented. That's why I think it might end up. But they're not really, nobody really views them as roles anymore. I just hope she doesn't just wait the five years that she needs for her lawyers and then <laughs> does a number on him. I hope not. I don't know if you've noticed this about the women in the royal family. More often than not, they tend to keep their mouths shut, don't really say anything, don't really emote. And I don't know if you've noticed this about American women, Tim, but they're not the quiet type. No. They're not going to keep shtum. Women in general aren't quiet types, are they? Royal women, mostly That's are. why they're different. A lot of the time you think, oh, someone like Kate, you think maybe she hasn't got much to say because she's just perfectly content with her kids and her luxuries. You know, what does she need to do? Does she have to do a Diana and suddenly try and ban cluster bombs or nukes? <laughs> I've heard rumours that she used to have a personality before she married Prince William. She's almost dead inside sometimes. Unless yeah. she's like, well, she's like, she's very calm on the surface. But you, you you get there's like sort of hid, hidden strengths with Kate, I feel, under the surface. Like what? She's a tiger. But Megan, on the other hand, just the way I saw her with Harry, she, I, I, I can see why he likes her. Cause she's she, gorgeous. She, well, she's gorgeous, but she seemed very affectionate and attentive. Like, in she's the, always stroking his Always hand. stroking him and comforting him, mothering him a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, maybe that's what he needs. You need someone to... Because he was... How old when Diana died? I remember he was... Yeah, he was a little kid. I the whole that. world saw, saw them having to walk behind her coffin. Because I think this uh, Meghan Markle, she strikes me as a very modern millennial woman. And she's marrying into a very, well, let's be honest, ancient family. Yeah. With a lot of like old school protocols and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like her yeah. life is going to be amazingly controlled now. Yeah, in insofar as what's expected of her and how she dresses and how she talks, she won't have the the freedom. But um, there'll definitely be an understanding in the back of her mind that there's uh, certainly more strictures than she'd be used to. Her life is going to be heavily orchestrated in a way that it hasn't been before. Yeah, I think she might be like another Diana. She might be like a Diana 2.0. She might be like a turbocharged Diana. She, like in today's world of social media and Twitter, she might actually be very outspoken. She might actually do some good or She's at least like- cause some trouble. She's like Princess SJW. 
Yeah, but even so, I, it'll be interesting. I think I actually think she'll she'll be quite irritating in, in a good way. Do you know what I mean? I think I don't think she'll be one of these voiceless uh, Windsor women. I think she's going to be told. Yeah, listen, you can't be as freewheeling and yeah. outspoken as you once were now that you're in the royal family. But she seems very freewheeling and outspoken. And that's yeah. why I think this is going to be interesting. I think she's a good fit for Harry, but I think Harry's not a good fit for the royal family. And I don't think she's a good fit for the royal family. Do you ever get the feeling Harry and William, they're more concerned with being celebrities than they are with being princes? I, I think... They don't like the whole... I think they dislike the whole celebrity thing. They hate the press, because they blame the press for Diana's death. No, I think they um, they look at the press as a useful tool, so long as they can control how much access the press, the press gets in, yeah. to their private lives. They, they use their celebrity. They're not going to abuse it. I think they're going to use it to try and campaign for things. Hopefully things that won't irritate me, but I've yeah. got a feeling they will. I strongly suspect about 12 months in, I think Meghan Markle's going to get over the novelty factor... And it's just going to be grating the fact that she can't just do what she wants, how she used to be able to. Like, because it's not like she's got to answer to her husband. Every, like, the royals, they all have their handlers and things. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, secretaries and. Their lives are quite heavily controlled. And I think at some point, probably about 18 months from now, because I do think Meghan loves Harry a lot. Yeah. And I think she's going to give Harry an ultimatum of saying, listen, give up the official titles and the, your royal duties. Like, let's go live in L.A. And basically, like, you stop being a prince. We're not we're no longer officially like prince and princess or whatever you like. We've got our freedom back. They'll never have their freedom. Like, There'll always be an armed man within 50 feet. That's just the way it is. You know, do you think it's going to last this marriage or do you think like me? Um, I think they'll either get divorced or she Meghan will convince Harry to give up being a prince. In effect, there's absolutely nothing to suggests they're going to get divorced other than the 60% of couples get divorced <laughs> statistic. 52, yeah, eventually. I, th- I think it's climbing constantly. It's brought up to 60 now, I think. But like, I don't see any tangible reason why they should. And I, I hope I hope they don't because they both genuinely look happy. And I think she'd be good because she would be a bit outspoken and annoying. And that's when the winds of structures are going to start suffocating her. If she tries to be the kind of free spirit. But Harry, he did this sit-down interview with an American magazine called Newsweek. And there was a big shocking headline where he revealed absolutely nobody in the royal family wants to be monarch once the Queen dies. Other other than Charles. And in this interview um, with Newsweek, Harry, he made a big deal. He waxed lyrical about this idea of modernising the royal family. Now, we mentioned Prince Edward and it's a royal knockout. That was like the first attempt at trying to modernise the royal family. That, that was the first guinea pig that died in order to figure out the right way to do it. That's basically what modernising the royal family means, is diluting the concept of it altogether and just... Oh, there's no. like a blurring of the line between a, royal, a member of the royal family and just like... A, a celebrity. Random celebrity it girl... So like maybe you know I mean? maybe that's maybe that's Harry's idea of softening the royal family. His idea of softening it isn't so much dismantling the constitution. It's probably more like being like Posh and Becks. It would be um, perfumes rather than commemorative plates. No, but it's like in terms of the public, like that will make them feel like the monarchy's closer to them. Yeah, but the public don't like being close to the royal family. They want there to be 
not like a wall of separation, but they want there to be a clear line marked out. I think that's changing. Like, you're a royal, you're yeah. different. If we have this brand royal, if you've got Meghan Markle, you know, they're going to make themselves more of a brand, I think. In America, you in use the, the fact that Meghan Markle's American? I think Because, I mean, their market in Britain's pretty much tapped out. Well, I think it's, it's so good, because, like, if, if Europe gets really nasty to us because of Brexit, Brexit yeah. then America is duty-bound to support us because one of its daughters is in our family now. You know, it's the nah. thing, families, families. America's never... They like our royal family, but they don't give a shit about them in that sense. Just wait, just wait until Meghan's married. Do you think they'll be spending nine months out of the year, like, stateside? I hope so. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot sunnier over there, for their sake. I've got nothing bad to say about them, or the, or, the, or, the, or anything to do with the rules. Nothing bad at all about the royal family. Nothing bad about it. We'll see about that. <laughs> so the Queen, current monarch, she's 91 years of age. But next in line to the throne is, of course, Prince Charles. I would say universally disliked. Yeah, he's he's a figure of fun as well. I don't dislike probably the most. Yeah, yeah, don't dislike the man, but I hear some funny things about him. That's for sure. I mean, even uh, supposedly all kind of uh, hush hush off the record. Even this, like the servants and the butlers and whoever that work for the royal family, they're all concerned that when Charles becomes king, he might be so much of a fuck up that he is in effect the last king ever. The monarchy just disappears how, after that. Uh, how though? Like you say, there's so much. So much in our sort of unwritten constitution, we couldn't have a monarchy. You can't just switch it off overnight. And having a shit monarch, it's like, how would you be a shit monarch? Well, what, why do people like the queen? Because she keeps her mouth shut. She's benign. Yeah. She doesn't get involved. She doesn't interfere. We know already from Prince Charles. And uh, I think it was the Guardian. You know, credit, credit to you. I think it was the Guardian that um, managed to get these letters that Prince Charles was writing to British MPs. And they ended up being referred to as the Black Spider Letters because apparently Prince Charles's handwriting is absolutely awful, yeah. almost illegible. It's like you got a spider and just dipped it in ink and let it loose across the page. Do you remember anything from those Black Spider Letters? I can't remember any specific, but he's basically just telling politicians what to do. He was, he was in effect lobbying MPs, yeah. using his position, obviously, as... A real high-up member of the establishment. Yeah, it's like, do you want a weekend at Balmoral? Or a month in the Tower? (laughs) He wanted to reform education. That was one of them. He really wanted a coal of badgers in the country. He wanted to kill off all the badgers. Yeah, it was mostly environmental stuff. But it gave the impression that Prince Charles is not going to be like his mother. His mother would stay out of anything political. Prince Charles is probably not going to be able to resist the urge to stick his nose in where it's not wanted. Yeah. And that's why people are really concerned. Well, especially he's, he's getting on a bit now. He's 69. I think he's 70 any day now. But like... Um, his brain won't hold up like his mother's. Probably not. It's almost like widely accepted that Charles is going to be an awful monarch. To such an extent that the BBC... Um, there was this play that came out two or three years ago that did really well. Went off to like uh, Broadway in New York called King Charles III. And BBC did a TV adaptation of it. I was going to say recently, I think it was like two, three months ago. But the basic premise is, is that Charles becomes king, starts interfering in politics way too much, and then by the end of it, there are like riots in the UK as a result of King Charles. How are you, Dad? 
For soon, you will be king. Your father rules today. This is perhaps the most unstable moment the royal family will face. The queen did not face laws like this to pass. Refuse to sign. Provoke revolt. You should have got it right. Adapted from Mike Bartlett's award-winning play, King Charles III on BBC Two. Do you see the images of London burning yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, I saw the images of London burning, but I heard the important piece of language which said, uh, yeah, you've got to sign this law or there'll be riots. And it was like, yeah, yeah. But the Queen actually does a lot of that day to day. She has to sign laws. Yeah, she rubber stamps things. She rubber stamps things. But you see, with Charles... She's technically, the Prime Minister has to get the permission from the Queen for almost anything. Yeah, yeah. But she just rubber stamps it. Yeah, that's the Queen though. But like I say, with Charles, it might be like a moral dilemma for him. He'll be like, I'm not just rubber stamping this. This is, this is, yeah, he'd want to, this is up to me. This is my decision. I need the weekend to think about this. And that could, that could, that could cause riots if it was like a piece of legislation that everyone wanted passed or didn't urgently. Now, the UK, strictly speaking, is still a Christian country, even though we, we've kind of operated for a little while now as a secular country. It's like we've got a crucifix on our flag, a church of England. Yeah, the established church. The Anglican church, which is all around Africa. So the head of the UK is known, there's this phrase, the defender of the faith. That's a specific faith being defended from a specific threat, namely... The Church, of, the Church of England, <laughs> Anglicanism being defended from Rome, the Vatican and Rome. Prince Charles, like it was kind of reported a few years ago quite oh, widely, yes. that he doesn't want to be defender of the faith anymore. Mm-hmm. He wants to be defender of all faiths. Yeah, he's a very spiritual man. He's, he's had many a chat with the Dalai Lama, apparently. But how the fuck is that going to work? The entire, like, all our constitution, which lays out the kind of protocols for the royal family, what their role is... Mm. It's rooted in Christianity. Like uh, the person that would be swearing Charles in as king would be the archbishop. Yes. How is he? How is he intending to represent all the faiths? Can I say tell you how? Go it's on. a pretty easy way. If you just think to the Christmas speech that the Queen gives when everyone's having their Christmas dinner. Happy holidays. Well, it's, it's, there's normally some little mention of Jesus. She will. She'd always she she'd always mention Jesus in a Christmas speech or the Nativity or something. Um, but, She's the head of the Church of yeah, England. So, like the differences, Charles will probably like you know read a passage from the Quran or some story Quetzalcoatl mood, qu- qu- like some Quetzalcoatl story from South America. That's not going to go down well. No. Well, it might do with some quarters, but one cultural appropriation. Mm. Keep our own shit English culture, please. But he sees himself, he sees that as a as a role, as a job, as a spiritual warrior. Yeah, but if he had a brain, right, wouldn't he just drop the whole religious aspect of it altogether? Without a royal family, we wouldn't have, who would be in charge of the Church of England? Some some old git. I think the British public is okay with getting rid of the Church of England, considering how few... He wouldn't few, even notice, he wouldn't even notice. Even though most Brits do identify as Christian, barely any of them go to church. Maybe yeah. 3% have read anything from the Bible... Now, a little-known story that wasn't even widely reported in the UK, let alone outside of the UK. The royal family, at least it, from their own perspective, came really close to being thrown in the dustbin of history with the um, 1997 princess, former princess Diana funeral. Like they were gravely concerned that that was going to kill the monarchy. Like there was such an anti-monarchy sentiment that was stoked with Diana's death. It wasn't so much anti-monarchy; it was anti-them. It was anti the Windsors. 
but they are unmonarchy. That's why the Queen came back from Scotland. She was afraid the public were going to really turn on the monarchy and never, they would never be liked by any measure ever again. Yeah, and, and even on not such a serious level, just on a sort of cultural level, for, for many years it's, it's not been cool to be a monarchist. And like maybe like with, his, with Harry and his celebrity bird, they they're, might, they they're might, cool. yeah, they might sort of. That's what I mean about the brand. They might try and make, make that's the their intention. Cool again. They're going to hit a hard limit there. Post rise of Jeremy Corbyn taking over Labour Party and probably the country. I a lot of people are saying he's probably going to be the next prime minister. I don't think that's true. I think Amber Rudd is going to be the next prime minister. But okay. I take the point that a Labour government is incoming probably quite soon, and it's going to be led by Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is staunchly Republican, does not like the monarchy at all. No. The royal family and the people amongst the royal family, they're really afraid of having a Jeremy Corbyn government. Oh, yeah. They're really concerned that um, he's going to bring about class warfare and point to the royals. It's like, oh, look at these rich bastards. Well, he's already 100% about that sort of class warfare and turning people against each other because someone has a bit more or a bit less than someone else. That's what he's all about. And hasn't attacked the monarchy yet. The royal family, though, yeah, that's like the... That'll be like the sort of final target of that that argument. So how long do you think Charles lasts? He might only have like a good five years or something if he's like in his 80s by the time, you know, he, he ascends to the throne. Women live longer. But the thing is, it's like I say, it's like sometimes, but no one asks to be born. It's just like a sort of random thing, which family you get born to. It's like a... Respons- They're not giving it up though, freely, are they? They could if they wanted they to. They could, but it, 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 you know, it is a duty as well, you know, for good or bad. I think William might feel that duty. He, he won't like being monarch. Whilst but, Harry gets to go off with his will, hot American girlfriend. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, do the right thing or... I can see I can see William being monarch, but not a happy monarch. <laughs> the Queen did, given how afraid they were back in 97, she did successfully protect the royal family to a certain extent through some turbulent times. Yeah. She wasn't able to be defender of the faith, though. Like, Christianity has basically died in this country, yeah. pretty much. It's on its knees. Mm. And that's... She kind of... I mean, if you're, like, if you're old school... You would see it as though she had a duty to do something about that. Charles is going to come in and see himself as defender of all faiths. That, to me, that's recipe for disaster. Yeah, he'll probably try and get a, a law passed, or he'll lobby for a some law. Blas- blasphemy. That's, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking more like sort of morning prayers in every school. I will lie, I will lie, that kind of thing, though. Whatever, but like you say, we, we sort of laugh about them. But they, 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 he could, he could exert pressure and, and get these, get things passed or not pass laws or threaten not to pass laws in case, unless they a veto. Like. Well, no, but he could say like on the quiet to them, I'm not going to sign this one unless you do this, mm. and that's how it works. But say like twenty or thirty years from now, like Christianity isn't the number one religion in this country. So say just for example, Islam is. Then again, to survive and adapt. The royal family <laughs> would have to say we're defenders of all faiths, but Muslims would want them to be just Muslim. Well, and if if that's what it takes, that's what the royal family will do eventually, because <laughs> they'll adapt. Like like you say, they'll do anything to to maintain that that position. The gravy train. Yeah, they 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 they, they do evolve. However, slowly they do evolve because we still got them. But I think people like having them. I don't know if it's guaranteed we'll lose our monarchy. However, King Charles III is going to be the closest we've ever come to Britain just completely losing its monarchy. Unless Brand, Harry and Meghan can distract everyone or at least keep them happy. <laughs> then there's, a, there's that would be like a bit of a fundamental shift though from royal family 
in the traditional classic sense to just celebrity power couple yeah well that's what that's 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 what the currency in the world's becoming now isn't it it's not it's not how much money you have it's how many tweets you can generate how many times you can be shared on the internet that's that's the currency of the future it's can not- she do that can she back a brand whilst being a monarch can she do that she can probably do what she likes as long as she's an American citizen. Yeah, I think she wants like dual nationality. And like, yeah, when you're a royal, you can you, know, you can get things like that. That was a bit of a minor controversy. Um, she's just going to swiftly move into Britain and be like recognised as a British citizen, just like bloody like immigrants. And it's like, yeah, a lot of Americans are like, I had to wait a really long time. I had to go through a bunch of hoops and pay a lot of money in this bitch. She just marries a prince. It's like, hey man, royal perks. So yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not against Harry and Meghan getting married and what have you, but there is, I think time will tell, let's say, whether this actually turns into a kind of a bigger story in terms of what's going to happen to the monarchy. Like right now, it's just a young couple who are in love getting married, relatively young. I think they're in their 30s. Yeah. I suppose that's the big difference between Meghan and Diana. Diana was a kid. 19-year-old virgin, famously, had barely lived at all, whereas Meghan's had a life outside, which, like I said, makes me think... She's not going to enjoy being a Windsor. So, from talk of one man losing his throne to potentially another, assuming Britain's MPs have anything to say about it, it's the absolute madman, the shitposter-in-chief himself. It's President Trump. He's at it again. President Trump has used his Twitter account to share inflammatory videos which were posted online by the deputy leader of the far-right group Britain First. The footage purports to show Muslims committing acts of violence. Well, the president's been criticised on social media for spreading hatred, and a Downing Street spokesperson has said it was wrong for the president to have retweeted those videos. Ah, President Madman. Okay, let's just establish from the outset that the story we're talking about isn't Muslims kicking people off buildings. And non-Muslims beating up boys with crutches. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. So we're going to do the same as the media have been doing this week. We're going to play the man, not the bull, and just talk about Donald Trump, not what he tweeted. He retweeted three tweets from a Twitter account by the handle Britain First. And Britain First are a tiny, minuscule, insignificant group of white nationalists. And basically you're saying like the negative reaction trump's got there's some sort of foul play there well for a start let's get the facts straight he didn't retweet directly from jada franson and britain first's twitter page he mm. only he only subscribes to like 45 people or something on twitter and one of them is this woman and Coulter. and Coulter. and he it was, was like american version of katie hopkins he got it from her basically i don't, I don't have twitter yeah, he just so seen it on it her timeline so, yeah so he, he's not following britain first yeah yeah he wasn't like just looking up fucking terror porn on the internet like we all do sometimes <laughs> so yeah he retweeted a tweet from a rather distasteful group of people that is the story that he that he the tweet was from these distasteful people because what did these tweets show though okay one of them was I think it was taken in Libya or somewhere, and it was some Islamists throwing a, a guy who was, they thought was gay building. So, yeah, that was one of the videos. It's basically 
three videos supposedly showing nondescript Muslims getting up to really bad behavior. So one of them, like you say, is somewhere in the Middle East. Somebody's been accused of being gay, but they're doing what's kind of become common now in the Middle East of taking gays and throwing them off of roofs and then kicking them in the skull when they have the temerity to not die from the fall. And then the third video was like random nut job, just desecrating a statue of Mary, Joseph's Mary. Yeah. I think you're right, because um, I don't think he got those tweets directly from Britain First account. I think, yeah, Ann Coulter is probably the likely suspect here. Yeah. But yeah, she retweets them. Donald Trump sees it come up in his timeline, does not pay attention to who the Twitter account belongs to whatsoever, and just retweets them. Yeah. And unfortunately for Trump, because the media elite and the, the liberal over here, because it was linked to Britain first, they suddenly think Donald Trump is trying to foment a sort of right-wing uprising in this country <laughs> and he's encouraging white nationalism. I saw a lot of um, Donald Trump, quote, endorses British far-right group. Donald Trump, quote, legitimises British far-right group. And it's like, no. Maintain a sense of perspective, right? He just retweeted some anti-Muslim videos. I say just, it's like, you know, but I say just to mean like he wasn't actively going like, yeah. I'm putting my flag with this Britain first people, do you know what I mean? I'm backing them. Yeah. And of course, for, for Britain first, it's like Christmas come early times five. You know, they've suddenly got all this, sh the, the media are sort of, on the one hand, describing them as a sort of fringe group. And then on the other hand, giving them sort of exclusive interviews and uh, yeah, well, what, a lot of publicity. What what do you think the chances are that he's ever heard of Britain first before? That he would see like like most people when they're retweeting stuff. When you go on when you're on Twitter, right, the timeline is just like an endless Facebook feed. Right. It just never ends. And every two or three seconds there's a new post at the top. And you, you just skim through it. You're not really paying attention to the Twitter handles, the usernames, or anything like that. Yeah, and the thing is, even if he's like, even if he saw something saying Britain first, from his perspective, he might. Well, he might have thought they've. I I inspired this Twitter account <laughs> with my America first. These are my British Trump fans. Yeah, yeah. I I don't get the feeling he's uh, in in bed with Franson. So I'm on Twitter at ill underscore insight. If you want to follow us on Twitter, and basically you might see me retweet some Donald Trump tweets because I like, well, nah, actually, I've never retweeted anything but from Donald Trump. But in all seriousness, like, I do follow Donald Trump on Twitter just to keep a keep abreast with the madman, keep a tab on what he's up to. But I saw it come up on my Twitter feed, and I was like, oh, it was like, um, you know, do you remember Quantum Leaps with Scott Bakula? When he just, like he leaps into a new body, and he's like, yeah. oh boy. And sure enough, right, within about 10 minutes, almost every single British news media outlet that I follow on Twitter, were re they were tweeting about Donald Trump retweeting Britain First. It's extremely likely Donald Trump had no idea who Britain First are. It turns out that most people in Britain have never heard of Britain First, right? Because all these UK press outlets, within 10, 15 minutes, wrote up their pieces about, oh my God, shocking, breaking news, Donald Trump retweets Britain First. And then about half an hour after that, they started tweeting out these articles, who, who is Britain First? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let us inform you, on, like, which suggests that nobody knew who the fuck they were. I mean, Donald Trump probably even right now as we speak probably still doesn't know who Britain first are. He's probably had an advisor come and explain to him why there's this controversy in the UK, yeah. why Theresa May's talking shit about him, and he's probably forgotten it already. I'm, I'm astonished that it was a tweet. It was a tweet. It was just a little few words on an internet, and we had like a parliamentary debate about it. 
Oh, you know, an emergency, an emergency parliament. You know, we're not. It's not normally we'd have them if it was like a war or terror or something. And this is this is the power that that Donald Trump wields. Forget about long range missiles. This guy knows he can cause a lot more trouble cheaply yeah, yeah. <laughs> with not, his laptop. He's not a little rocket man. But if you have, if you're British and you've heard of Britain First before, chances are you know of them because of the uh, the murder, not assassination, the murder of Labour MP Joe Cox. Like some random paranoid schizophrenic yobbo. Was it like three days before the Brexit vote? It was the week before, I think, yeah. yeah. Supposedly, as he shot and was stabbing her, he yelled out Britain First. I heard he yelled out, put Britain first. Because subsequently, in the trial that occurred afterwards, I mean, first of all, the weird thing was he like he didn't answer to his real name. Execute all traitors. It was like, it was like <laughs> a statement of intent rather than a name. He's a nutcase, basically. Yeah. But because he yelled out Britain first, the press were eager to try and show there was a connection between him and this group called Britain First. So, Tim, I'll ask you, who the fuck are Britain First? And who is Jada Franson? She's not the leader. There's another guy who's in charge. I don't it's know. her husband, I think. Like, she's come to the fore, this Jada Franson. But Britain First, well, let's go back in time a little bit. There was a racist group of white nationalists that went under the umbrella National Front. And I think a lot of countries have this. They'll have their equivalent of a National Front. The National Front was just a really soft cover for neo-Nazism. Though. Yeah, but they broke up and splintered off. And one of the splinter groups from National Front was a, uh, a group called the BNP, the British National Party. Mm-hmm. And so they tried to go a legit political route. Route? So you American. American uh, thanks, Megan. They went a political route trying to be legitimate, but they never really got anywhere. They got a handful of council seats up in the north. It was looking like in the mid-noughties, mid to late noughties, they were going to like gain some traction. Oh, like, oh, God, there was genuine concern they might get a seat in Parliament. It never happened. It never came to fruition. No, and, and famously, I remember they the BBC even invited its leader, Nick, Nick Griffin, Nick Griffin, onto question A.K.A. Times. Plucked Owl. He was just eviscerated on every point, and that, that sort of finished them off. And by 2012, the BNP was dead. For all intents and purposes, they were dead. And so what Britain first are is a splinter group from the splinter group of the National Front, i.e. they're tiny in number. And they tried to do a, B, a repeat of the BNP. So, so they're not to be confused with the, with the EDL or the Football Alliance. The EDL are a lot bigger than Britain First, and they have but, like big marches. And there was this, there was this football alliance where like loads of football supporters. What just hooligans? The thugs? They weren't thugs. So they had a completely peaceful march through central London. Oh, the anti-Islam, anti-extremism. <laughs> anti-extremism. That's what they call it. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. it was anti-Islam. Yeah, everyone knew it was anti-Islam. Um, it was like a massive march. For comparison's sake, when Britain First try and organise a march, ten, fifteen people show up. Mm. And then about four or five hundred, like, uh, hope, not hate, uh, anti-fascist. Like, yeah, yeah, they're always grossly outnumbered. Yeah. But Britain First, to put it into context, they have a very popular Facebook page. They just upload videos. Well, this used to be their MO a couple of years ago. They would go into a part of a British city or town that was known to be densely populated with Muslims. And what they would do is they would go in, cameras rolling, they'd wind down their car window, provoke some Muslims into, a, like, verbally attacking them. And then they'd 
cut the video where it's like, oh, we were just we were just driving along, minding our own fucking business, and, and these Muslims come out of nowhere and start talking shit to us. Like that was like ninety percent of their videos a couple of years ago. And then uh, Jada Franson, who today is probably the most prominent member of Britain First, she's the only one anybody can name, right? Because like I say, there's only about four or five of them. She got arrested because she was uh, she used to go around like outside. She would stand outside a mosque and start reciting Bible verses, talking shit about Islam. And she was arrested and convicted for uh, something to do with, like, aggravated religious harassment. Okay. So, I mean, Britain First does include criminal convicts. They're not nice people by any stretch of the imagination. They're religious harassers. But they are tiny in number. They're minuscule. They're not significant in any way, shape, or form. Like, like I say, the EDL are larger than them. Who were the Who were the guys who got convicted recently? National National Action, who have recently been designated a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Britain First are not as big, not as big a threat mm. as National Action are. Britain First have never. They're just real diehard Christians who vehemently believe that Britain is slowly being taken over by Islam. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually um, before I came on this show. I made a point of listening to one of the interviews that she had this week. and um, On ABC, American... No, no, this was on um, independent radio. It was John Gaunt. And he gave her 25 minutes to talk. Like all these nutcases always do, they sort of talk themselves into a corner. And she basically said if they were in charge they'd make like islam illegal it'd be like illegal to be a muslim basically she is a dunce yeah but that but that's basically their raison d'etre they 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 see themselves like they're just really they're like something from america they are like sort of ultra christian i was going to say westboro baptist church is kind of what they are but they're ultra christian but in a very british sort of way (laughs) so they don't shout about it but they are really but fewer in number than westboro baptist church the press exaggerates the threat posed by Britain first massively. Like yeah. the aforementioned BNP, they yeah. were they were considered like the big far right threat ten years ago. Yeah. They don't exist anymore, and it's all tied into to Trump. You see, because the the press, like you say, it's the same press that vilify him and mock him. At the same time, they're absolutely terrified of him, and they know like how he can influence the public. So, like on the one hand, they're saying he's a stupid dunce, and on the on the other hand, they're saying you know Master this is genius. absolutely terrible. What you, you know, you shouldn't pay attention to what this man yeah. says. But in a way, it just adds oxygen to to the fire. At the end of the day, like all the press want is juicy stories, and like the more you know, the press would love there to be a fucking race war in this country with like the streets running with blood. Dude, think of it'd the be ad like, revenue. It'd be the amazing. News. and like so they, they probably what like they're probably trying to give britain first more oxygen themselves <laughs> this is where we're getting into the conspiracy theory kind well, of like not, george soros is funding not, britain first to, like, we mustn't give these people any publicity we're giving publicity to i've been aware of britain first before joe cox was murdered just by virtue of the fact that i have someone in my Facebook friends list who did actually um, share a Britain First video a couple of years ago and I was like, who the fuck is this? Their MO used to be they, they went around provoking Muslims and filming it and then making selective edits to make them look innocent. They haven't done that recently. What they seem to do these days is just they scour the internet for videos of Muslims misbehaving, getting up to no good, and then they just post it to their Facebook page. Yeah, they'll, they'll post videos of like beheadings car bombings in other countries and stuff and it's it's like i used the term before but it is like a sort of sub sub dimension of the internet that people don't give a name but it's like terror porn it's not spoken about in polite society it's like terror porn it's like people will want to look at things that scare them or they'll want to look at things that disgust them or horrify them car crash like that's what jada franson is she is like a walking car wreck 
that people just can't look away from. So they show videos of nondescript Muslims from nondescript locations doing wacky, wild things. Heinous things, mostly. And you never... What they don't point out is actually where this video is from, who these people are. You don't get any of that kind of context from Britain First. And it's always given... like They always try and misdirect you into thinking... This happened in Britain. Like a lot of their videos, are, most of them are going to be from the Middle East. A lot of them are from the continent, but they try and pass it off as though, yeah, but like this could happen in Britain too. Well, that's that, like you say, the sort of context they try to present it in. It isn't that where it happens or who did it. It doesn't matter. It's just that they're Muslims, they're Muslim. and they're trying to foment that fear. Yeah. It's, it's reinforcement, isn't it? And you can you can abuse it. And then if you were the kind of person that went on Britain First page every day, you'd get a grossly exaggerated sense of like just what a problem Islam is. Yeah, and you'd probably be more fearful. They're pushing xenophobia for sure. Like you say, in terms of like not really providing proper context, they don't really vet the videos they post either. Like, so Donald Trump retweeted one of these Britain First videos, and it was a guy, a Dutch kid on crutches, and supposedly a Muslim kid, Muslim migrant, he beats up the Dutch kid on crutches. And then it turned out it wasn't a Muslim migrant. It was, he was like third generation Dutch. I don't know, but he looked Arabic. Which is what the... That's why they posted it. So these days, it's it's quite du jour to speak about the threat of the far right. However, I would say that's not... That's more of a continental Europe problem than a UK problem. The threat of the far right. Unless we believe what the press is telling us. Alarmist, sensationalist press. Yes, yes. Because they're not even EDL, we said before. But they're not like AFD in Germany. They're not... What's Gert Wilder's party in the Netherlands? They're not on that level. No. Marine Le Pen in France. They're not like... They're not on anywhere on that kind of level. Well, they don't the far right in general is not in the UK is not on that level. And maybe it's a way that our parliamentary politics work that it's, it's, it's hard for them to sort of get a foothold in terms of first past the post keeps out the extremists. Yeah, that's the one thing it's got going for it, really. Now, because the UK press made a big deal of this, that means our parliamentarians are MPs. They have to react to that. Whatever's a big story in the UK press, the MPs have to react to it and they have to do it in a serious fashion. You say react, I say virtue signal. Of Donald Trump's tweets, as you say, there was this emergency, uh, I think they called it an urgent question session, where Home Secretary and future Prime Minister Amber Ride was called in to the House of Commons to... Uh, Partially, like 50% get berated by uh, fellow MPs in the House of Commons and 50% opportunity to just get a dig in and an insult on Donald Trump. When members from across this house raised our clear view with you that after his racist and sexist behaviour, <laughs> President Trump should not be afforded the honour of addressing both houses of Parliament in Westminster Hall. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that? Trump not being allowed to address our MPs? Like this was a uh, speaker of the House, John Burko made that choice, didn't Pathetic. he? Pathetic. The whole principle of Parliament, of parliamentary democracy, is people being able to speak freely and openly you can hear without stabbing each without other without stabbing each other get a grip of yourself Stephen Doughty MP Mr Peter Boone I think the whole house will agree with the Prime Minister's words and one of the advantages of having such a special relationship with the United States is when a friend tells you you've done something dreadfully wrong you tend to listen and wouldn't the world be a better place if the Prime Minister could persuade the President of the United States to delete his Twitter account <laughs> Stuart C. Macdonald. On these benches, we have long taken the view that the current President of the United States should not be afforded a state visit to the United Kingdom, and yesterday's actions have reinforced that, absolutely. 
isn't one of the key dangers of a state visit that we have absolutely no idea of what the president will say or tweet yeah. next yeah, yeah. and before he visits. Yvette Cooper. Britain first gets its sucker from spreading its poison and its extremism yeah. online. That is how it works, and the president of the United States has just given it a rocket boost. Tim Lawton. Mr Speaker, about a month ago, the most popular man in the world was a last-day employee of Twitter who unplugged the account of the President of the United States. Dennis Skinner. I think it's pretty clear that, on the basis of what we already know about this fascist president, that mere words are not enough. Action is needed now, not a slap on the wrist. Cancel the state visit. I have read that the state visit has been cancelled. Like there was, there was going to be this low key visit. The Americans are opening a new embassy in London. Yeah. That has been cancelled, but it's been cancelled by the American side. Washington cancelled it because no one in our government had enough spine to say to Trump, actually, do you know what? You've done wrong. We don't want you here. Like no one in our government would say that. And those MPs on the opposition benches, if they were in government, do you think they'd say to Trump, fuck you, you can't come in? No, of course not. And the other thing is, is these MPs, they all just, it's their little moment in the spotlight. Trump is talking to Putin. He's not talking to fucking Dennis Skinner. It's different level. And the other thing, do any of those MPs in that parliament reflect the true views of the whole country? Because admittedly, there's half the country that loathes Trump. And Britain first. But there's probably half the country that loves Trump. Yvette Cooper's brought up something there about spreading hatred online. The point she was making is that Donald Trump has widened up, potentially has widened up Britain First's audience because he's got 43 odd million Twitter followers. I have to disagree with that. I don't think she's entirely wrong, but I think the fact that the press flew off the handle, made such a big deal about it, they've introduced Britain First far more to potential supporters, say, than Donald Trump did. Here's how I think the media should have covered this. They should have pointed out that if they, like, say they bring attention to the fact Donald Trump has retweeted three of these videos from a Britain First Twitter account. Okay, mention that. But then point out uh, Donald Trump most likely has no idea who Britain First are, certainly has no idea who Jada Franson is, and that the only reason he's highlighting these videos and trying to bring attention to them is because he's attempting to kind of reintroduce, even though he failed last time, his, uh, quote, travel ban aka muslim ban the muslim ban is to call it a muslim ban that's just like um like a score multiplier the fact that they're muslims is incidental what is good they, they're every, islamic countries exactly but you know if if you're from that country not every islamic country you have to be a muslim yeah so it's just bad luck but it's more like he's casting out a wide net in the hopes of catching muslims but knowing he's going to catch some mon- like some non-muslims are going to get caught in this net as well it's not it's not about catching it's just about stopping isn't it it's, yeah preventing but that's what got lost in the press coverage is that the reason Trump has done this is because he's trying to get his Muslim ban slash travel ban. He's trying to bolster support from for that from the American public. That was like the kind of the meat of this story, and it was ignored. The, the story of the story was the press completely mishandling it because they've got this perverse thing with Trump that they just they they can't look away. They just well, no, they can't look away. And further on from that, everything he says, everything he does, they've got to nail it and turn it back on him as and trying to hang him by everything by making such a big deal of it this time they fucked themselves because they've they've actually given a lot of energy to like a very bad group of people they should have made the story about how trump gets his information on twitter and how that's rubbish (laughs) yeah 
You heard the word special relationship come up there from uh, British MPs. There is no special relationship between Britain and America. There's a there historic... is now with fucking Harry and Meghan. <laughs> yeah. Special marriage. Historically, there's been a military alliance, long-standing military alliance. Although it's not like um, if, say, America wanted to invade someone that Britain didn't. Britain wouldn't be able to persuade America not to do it. They'd still go ahead without us. But we really don't have any influence over America. That's what the term special relationship was supposed to be. I mean, like at the turn of the 19th century, you had a bunch of American bankers and British bankers make a verbal gentleman's agreement. If our banks fail, you bail us out. If your banks fail, we'll bail you out. That kind of worked for a little while. By 2008, that was gone. The special relationship, however, was the British establishment's attempt at trying to influence America culturally. They were trying to turn America into British Empire 2.0. Like, we were trying to affect the way they their military sh- is structured. We tried to export our class system to America. Like, in America, everyone thinks they're middle class. We tried to make them think in terms of working class, middle class, upper class. But the point is, the Americans never took to it. They rejected our attempts at trying to influence them. So there is no special relationship. There never was. But there is now with Harry and Meghan. That's what. It, that's why families are important. It's about maintaining royal peace families. That's what it used to be about, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. In, uh, peace between relationships. Peace and, between nations. Us Brits, we're in denial about this special relationship. America knows full well, and Americans know there is no special relationship. They rejected our attempt at offering a special relationship, and we've been in denial about it ever since. I don't think I've ever never heard an American only when he's talking to the prime minister. Yeah. Yeah, they placate us to a certain extent. Now, Theresa May, kind of surprisingly, did come out and say Donald Trump was wrong to tweet out those videos. But she kind of stopped there. The classic British way of ignoring things is either a stiff upper lip or like a stupid attempt at humour. Like she could have said, oh, you know, maybe Donald should pay more attention to my Twitter account and, you know, follow me. I instead. need more followers. Yeah, something like that. Rather than call an emergency parliamentary session. I don't think she didn't call it. Well, she, she had to. Like know, I said, because because the press made such a big deal of it, RMPs had to address it in a semi-serious fashion. Trump he responded to Theresa May by saying, "Yeah, don't worry about me in my Twitter feed. Worry about Islamic terrorism, right?" Yeah. But then he initially sent that tweet to the wrong Theresa May. He sent it to a Theresa May who only has like six followers, and I think she even spells her name differently. <laughs> so you're laughing, right? Because. Trump is a bit stupid, isn't he? No, he's just moving too fast. He's got to slow down. He's just got <laughs> he's to slow down. He's still a down. fireball. He's a fireball out of control. He just types it and hits send. It was a bit of a poignant response. Earlier this week, I was going past Hyde Park, and they've got these new anti-terrorism measures, safety features, and it's basically a giant black bollard with a yellow metal gate around it to stop people driving over pedestrians in Hyde Park. Like I say, everyone thinks Trump is stupid. Everyone thinks they're more clever than Trump. Maybe the whole reason he fucking retweeted Britain first was so two days later he could send that one tweet to Theresa May. A little bitch like Maybe he'd been planning that for weeks. That was the tweet he wanted to say. I suppose he's... Because he has a fucking point. Yeah, those bollards and the things like around the Christmas markets and things as well, these things are going up. They're not there because of the threat posed by the far right or the threat posed by Donald Trump's Twitter account, right? If our MPs can be real for a second, why are those bollards there? Hashtag Islamic terrorism. And that's not to say all terrorists are Muslim, blah, 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 none of that bollocks. So our, our MPs like to talk tough when it comes to Donald Trump, but they don't actually do anything that would make you think they are tough. It's like, yeah, we, we're losing a sense of perspective here. 
Trump's Twitter account has sent people into like some a kind of form of psychosis almost. He's using this power, like he's using Twitter, like people used to use assassins or smart bombs, <laughs> isn't it? So you wouldn't advocate Donald Trump either delete his Twitter account or like hand it over to someone else, like a staff member, maybe even even on the grounds of he's driving people crazy with his Twitter account. Maybe you argue for it on those grounds. Free speech, First Amendment in its purest form, and direct democracy. If you were American, would you be embarrassed, do you think, by Donald Trump's behaviour? Because, I mean, we're British, we can see a funny side to it, obviously. I'm not the sort of person. If he was your president. I I don't know, I can't say. Because Boris Johnson's embarrassing sometimes, and he's kind of like our equivalent. He's the closest thing we've got to a Trump. It's like you say, these car crash people, you can't look away from them. (laughs) There's a fun side to Boris, and there's a fun side to Trump, but there's also more of a sinister side to Trump. It's not about fun or sinister, it's power, and and people can't but be attracted to that, even if they're repulsed. Donald Trump's doing something, he was doing something in the last week, which is pretty much the only thing that has any sort of public support, which is tax reform. Yeah. For the most part, getting corporate tax rates down, because America's corporate tax rates are quite, they're relatively high. Yeah, but also reducing tax for the average middle class family as well. Yeah, I think something like 90% of Americans will have slightly less taxes. I think he wanted to bring attention to that. He also wanted to bring attention to his uh, Muslim, excuse me, his travel ban. He's actually taken attention away from the thing he wanted people to notice, which was his tax reform. So it's like, I don't think it's Donald Trump who loves the dead cat strategy. I think he just throws out dead cats just by accident more than anything else. And the press love, they love saying, oh, Donald Trump's such a big fan of this dead cat strategy. And I don't think Donald Trump's ever heard of it. I think he has. If he's if it's strategy, he's heard of it. He's written a book called The Art of the Deal that, that, that details ghost written. many different strategies. Is he such a maverick that he uses it in play the wrong the, way? Play the fool, you know, keep it cool. Does that make him unfit? to be president because like talk of donald trump and the word impeachment tend to go in the same sentence a lot these days it's kind of a pretentious way of saying i don't like donald trump i don't think he's a good president yeah because that's where that's where i'm at right now donald trump is not a good president it's like the americans engaged in an experiment of what happens when we elect someone who isn't a politician is not a politician does not understand how government works does not understand the protocols the how the wheels turn none of that yeah or you could alternately say, let's elect someone who isn't part of that political the Washington system. outsider. Is there not something to be said, though, of having a president who's good at what he does? He does what he says, at least. I don't think Trump does, though. I don't think he's good at what he thinks he's good at. Even when you take into account he's not a professional politician. So you're saying he's not good at being president? And no, you- he makes people long... I agree with what you're saying. They were kind of fed up with a professional politician, that the Bill Clinton mould. Well, look at Obama. He's like but, the most polished guy in the world. True. But Trump, because we've now had Trump, though, he's made people long for the professional politician again. Has he, though? He's made people realise, actually, maybe the professional politician exists for a reason. Why? does it? So it, he doesn't get into these embarrassing spats. Is mm. that why you want someone more like Obama being in charge of America? Because it will make you feel a little bit more cosy because he, he's nice and friendly. I'd feel like he's more competent. President Trump, he's, he's... What has he done so far? He's got the prototypes for his wall set up. He's managed to change the Supreme Judge. Oh, he got a Republican yeah. swaying Supreme Court now. Yeah, he, he's obviously hamstrung and hogtied by the Senate. 
<laughs> on both sides. Both sides hate him. So he, for that, I think he's he's achieved an incredible amount with, despite all these impediments. Here's what I'll say in defence of um, Obama. Obama got something that almost no one thought any president would get, which is healthcare reform. Okay, it wasn't the best reform in the world. It had major issues, right? But he got that done within the first, like, 18 months, something like that. Trump hasn't really had anything on that level. And... This is why I think Donald Trump's not a good president. What he was doing this week on tax reforms, this is the first thing he's done that might have had wide support, but he distracted everyone's attention from it with these Britain first tweets. Yeah, but he's shit. On tax reforms and stuff, that's on a national level. Remember, President of the United States, in brackets, most powerful man in the world, he has this international role as well as a national role. Mm -hmm. And in his international role, imagine when Obama and Putin were talking... Putin was probably just like not even listening and like you say like well, with, uh, with is it fear though? absolute madman Duarte absolute madman Putin maybe they're afraid absolute madman Trump maybe he's the type of president the world needs at the moment if it's been run by madmen wanting our politicians to be real about there is this intangible threat of Islamic extreme terrorism which could cause a lot of problems and I'm sorry Obama wouldn't even use the phrase Islamic terrorism yeah, he's afraid of it but what I'm saying is in terms of being president don't forget like all our opinions on Trump come from the media in America, which is a very little sliver of the East and West Coast. You've got this huge yeah, chunk LA of people. And New York. Yeah. You've got this huge chunk of people who wanted him. So for them, he was an effective president. I think half of Donald Trump's supporters don't really give a shit what he gets through in terms of legislation or doesn't. They don't care. They just, they want Donald Trump to be a thorn in the side of Washington. Another cliche, the ball in the China shop. Just go in there and smash shit up. I've noticed online, Donald Trump supporters tend to rationalize Trump with, he's playing 4D chess. and 7D chess. Seven dimensional <laughs> chess. And nobody really understands what it's like. And I, I agree with a, there's this conservative commentator called Ben Shapiro and he's like look it's not 4D chess it's more like hungry hungry hippos he's just <laughs> slamming his fist down in a pure old angry kid fashion again I think it's underestimating which is like a lethal thing to do like the impeachment question it all depends who controls Congress and the Senate right now it's Republican it's Republican so no chance of Trump getting impeached well slim chance Trump? if the Democrats get in I'm almost sure a movement to impeach him will begin I think Republicans, they tried to stop the Trump train. They tried to derail it. It didn't work. And then it ended up with Trump's the only game in town. If we want to retain any sort of power in Washington, we need to attach ourselves to Trump. I think Republicans are now kind of like the the party. They're kind of getting a bit fed up with Trump. He's too much of a gaff-prone embarrassment. And I think they're starting to like the idea of President Mike Pence. And at this point, I'm starting to like the sound of President Mike Pence rather than President Donald Trump. What is it that scares you so much about Donald Trump, Tom? He's a madman. I think of him as almost like my old man being president. My old man's at a point in his life where his inhibitions have, are gone, but so is his judgment. <laughs> so it's like he'd be his lack of inhibition would be good for making decisions, tough decisions, quickly, which is like elected officials have to do that, right? But at the same time, his judgment is gone as well. Like there's definitely a clear difference that you think between 1980s Donald Trump when he's being interviewed and 2017 Donald Trump like he's not well, all there, there is, anymore there is the danger when someone's been alive for so long they think they've got it figured out and they're right just because they're old and they've got the experience wisdom Trump strikes me as a young soul like I say I think he might deliberately put, put some of it on honestly honestly I think he plays it dumb 
to honestly i'll give i'll give him this that he was smart enough to recognize americans were angry they thought president obama had taken america in the wrong direction in terms of not asserting america's dominance in the world anymore he tapped in he was smart enough to tap into that i'll give him that i think he is doing harm to the the republican party brand which was if you listen to our old podcast the tom dick and hyman show i said that was the silver lining if you really hate republicans republicanism that might be the only silver lining to a donald trump presidency is that he basically scars them so fucking badly the only sort of potential negative light i can see him casting is not on any particular political party but maybe just on the general office of president would you say he's tarnished it? Not tarnished it, but in a way, what's happening with everything, like what's happening with the royal family, it's getting less formalised. Everything's getting more sort of common and common denominator now. That's, that's, that's how it feels. More celebrity. More vulgar. Looking at looking at Trump, he's probably like the first president to make it a less sort of royal. Less presidential. He's not a statesman. Yeah, but I think I think it's like in the future, maybe there's this hankering in some quarters and like you have it to have a more sort of traditional type of president but that might not work in today's I'd, world I'd take W I'd but- take W back <laughs> if Trump comes to visit will you go to say hi no because I'd, I'd go but I'd be scared it's all going to kick off so I'm going to stay at home <laughs> scared to get hit in the head by a communist with wooden plank Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you got a kick out of this episode. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Ill-Informed Insight. Be sure to include the insight there. Give us a five-star rating, if you would, please. I think we deserve it. If you're not on iTunes, then feel free to follow us on SoundCloud and be sure to leave lots of likes. And whilst you're liking things, why not be the first to like our Facebook page? Be the first to like our Facebook page. Yeah. How fucking sad is that? Hey, listen, do your moral duty, right? We need to be able to compete with Britain first. I haven't even liked our Facebook page. <laughs> Please do like our Facebook page. We promise we're not Christian white supremacists trying to sell you racist coffee mugs. My thanks again to Tim for joining me this week. Thank you for letting me spout off. And uh, my thanks to you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Don't forget to check us out every Monday morning for the latest episode of the Ill-Informed Insight podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. No, you hang up. You I, hang up. I have the, you greatest, hang up. the greatest goodbyes. I am the best of goodbyes. Goodbye.